If you have your Bibles, open it to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12. We're going to take the next four, maybe five weeks and do a series called Living This Life. Paul, in the book of Romans, from chapter 1 through 11, has been giving a doctrinal discourse. He's been giving regulations, boundaries of what this Christian life is. But in chapter 12 through 16, he starts to, to put the practical application of this living, this life, into an understanding. And we're going to take these final chapters and make a series called Living This Life to help us understand what is in this Christian life. What does God want from me? What are some of the things that I can do that are practical that God has for us to do as we call ourselves his children, as we call ourselves and name ourselves with Christ, calling ourselves Christian? Let's read verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul starts off with the word therefore, and as I, I share just briefly, therefore is talking about all the things that he has discussed from chapter 1 to chapter 11. He has presented some things that are foundational for us to move forward. He's talked about our condition. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Explaining that everyone in the world, not just the Jews, have an understanding of the nature of God and are without excuse to what God requires of them. He then said, God will give to each person according to what he has done, that we have an obligation in our lives and we will be held accountable for those lives. It kind of comes to a culmination in chapter 3. Verse 23, when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all broken. We are all in need of God's salvation. And so he's laid a foundation of where we are at. And then he has also moved forward and he's explained what he has done for us. In chapter 4, he said, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord never counts against him. What a glorious thing that is. And you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's us. That is everyone. That is both the Jew and the Gentile. We are all 
away from Him. We've all been separated from Him. And so we were in this condition. God has done this to reach out for us. And it kind of comes to a peak in chapter 8 where He says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of this, because of where we are and because of what God has done, He says, therefore... I urge you. And that word, urge, I beseech you, I I beg you. All the adjectives that are used there are all beautiful. He is compelling us, entreating us that we would present our bodies as living sacrifice. Now, the first thing we need to recognize is whatever service we do for God, It is under the shadow of his mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy or by the mercies of God, you see, we respond because of what he's done. 1 John says we love him because he first loved us in 1 John 4.19. And so whatever we are going to do that is of service to God, it is under the shadow of his mercy. It is connected to his love. And it's important to make that connection lest it become just a duty, just a religious obligation, and not something that is compelled because of love. And then he gives this term, living sacrifices. And it's a huge step to offer your body as a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice, especially in the Hebrew context, has in it death. But here we've got this living death. What is that about? What is he he's saying? Because it is very extreme. He's stepping into some extreme language, talking about what it is to, to give of ourselves. And God is constantly doing this. He's using extreme language to try and bring home a point. You see, many people approach Christianity in a number of ways. When they think of Christianity, they think of all of Christendom. They think of the history of Christendom. They might think of the Crusades. They might think of Constantine baptizing you know, thousands of soldiers at one time and said, now you're Christians. And so their idea of what Christianity is is pretty minimal. It's no difference between what you say is Christian and what I say is normal or the world around us. And so they have no real obligation to it, no real influence by it. How they see it is tainted by the view that they have seen and have not liked. And what it's kind of like doing, it's kind of like saying that I'm not a Christian because of the circumstances. By the way, silence your phones. Yes, Lord. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, where was I? (laughs) Christendom. People 
tainted by what they see. And it's kind of like saying all baseball teams let you down just because you have in mind the Dodgers. You know, you, your view is tainted by the one specific. All football teams are lousy, but really you're just thinking of the Raiders. <laughs> and so your whole view is tainted by these certain events and you don't really see the whole of the picture. And that's your view of what is Christianity. And then there are people who believe in the principles of Jesus and want to live their lives according to those principles. They want to help the poor. They want to be socially involved. They want to take care of the needs of people. They want to live lives that are, are morally upright. And, and those are great principles to live by. In fact, if you are going to follow any person's principles, Jesus is the person you want to follow. And their idea of Christianity is living this life of following the principles of who Jesus is. But that falls short of what God is asking of us. Because Christianity is unique in this way. That you can't really have what it is without having who it is. You see, you can have Buddhism without Buddha. You can have Islam without Muhammad. You can have Confucianism without Confucius and still not be confused. But you cannot have Christianity without Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of the things that you do. It's a matter of he being a part of your life. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to show you a way. He said, I am the way. I'm going to teach you the truth. He said, I am the truth. And so this idea of the way, the truth, life itself, I am the life. I am the light of the world. And it's all encompassed in who Jesus is. And so it's not a matter of the principles. It's a matter of the person. And, and we would so like to just make it a matter of principles. It's so much easier to follow per principles than a person. It's so easy to be religious instead of be involved with a relationship. But Paul pushes this further, even as Jesus did, in this extreme language, offer yourself a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that is dead to your own will, but alive to God's. One that is yielded. When it says offer, it means yield yourself to God as living sacrifices. Jesus did the same thing in his language. He was powerful in his language. He said, if anyone is going to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross. The cross was an instrument of death and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Again, this extreme language. You want your life, you need to lose it. You need to pick up your cross and follow me. And, you know, it's so interesting because you've got to think of the circumstances. There are multitudes following Jesus. The miracles that he's, he's doing is causing them to wonder, feeding multitudes. And so they're coming to him in groves. And then he'll say something like this. If anyone wants to come after me, he needs to hate 
his father, his mother, sister, and brothers, and take up his cross and follow me. And they're like, whoa. And it's almost like he's, he's pushing them back, saying, wait a second, don't come running through this door too quickly without first counting the cost. In fact, he gave an illustration. No man builds a house without first counting the cost. Otherwise, he gets partway through, he can't finish, and they say, oh, he couldn't finish what he started. Why? Because he didn't count the cost. When we did our room addition, we had a budget. Those things are so useless when you're doing construction. It just, don't, why? Why waste the paper? Just add 50% right off the bat. <laughs> I'm serious. And you have to count that cost. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, maybe a roof but no walls. It's going to get cold in the wintertime. You have to count the cost to see it through the completion. And Jesus is saying, before you come running through this door, you need to think about what I'm asking you. I'm not asking for you to do a list of things. I'm asking for you to be committed 100%. Where the relationship that you have with father, mother, sister, or brother, in comparison to the relationship you have with me, it's like you hate them compared to how you love me. And when you have this relationship, I will show you how to love them. But your priority, if it is not me, then it's not enough. And he pushes us to this part of a relationship of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not about the principles. It's not about the things that we just do. It's about who we yield our lives to and how we yield our lives to him. It's about giving of ourselves completely so that we are a sacrifice and a living one. What does a living sacrifice look like? A dead sacrifice, it's easy. What does that look like? You know, it's dead, just sitting there. But what is a living sacrifice? Well, Jesus is the best picture. If we look to Jesus and who he was, that gives us the clearest picture of what a living sacrifice is. Turn with me to John chapter 5. Read verses 19 through 21. Jesus gave them this answer. They're wondering why he's doing what he's doing. And he gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And so Jesus says, I can't do anything but what the Father tells me to do. And what he tells me to do, that's what I'm portraying to you. That's what I'm giving out. I'm not doing something on my own. What I'm doing is only what I have seen him do. What I hear, that's what I say. 
And he carries this out even further in chapter 12. Verses 47 to 50. He goes on and he says, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so that whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And so Jesus is talking about his relationship with God, and he's also told us that we could have this relationship with him. And his relationship with God is that he is living in such a way that God is able to speak into his life and he is able then to repeat what he has heard. God is able to show him what he needs to do and he does it. That he has this relationship that is in contact with God, that he is imitating God and what God does, I do. What God says, I say. He has a relationship that influences him so much that what he says is not his own, but it's what God says. Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus would have just told us, you know, every morning wake up at this time and pray for this long. And then I want you to read something in the law, something in the, the Psalms, and something in the New Testament. Take out 15 minutes every day. And, and we could say, okay, I can do that. Okay, I can follow that. But this idea of Jesus and how he had this relationship with God, it's like, where are you going? What are you doing? I'm following you. Wherever you go, I go. In dog training, when you get a dog to heal, what you have to do is get the dog's attention. To get a dog so it walks without a leash, you first have to make the dog understand that you're important, that you're the leader. When the dog recognizes that you're the leader, I have to follow you, then the dog can go without the leash. Otherwise, the dog's, where, you know, squirrel? You know, he's going whatever it is. But when you have his attention of who you are and he understands, oh, I can't take my eyes off of you. You're the boss. You're the master. Then when you stop, he stops. Then when you turn, he turns. Then when he sees the squirrel, he goes, oh, I got to follow the master. Because you have his attention. You have his focus. And Jesus is saying, God is my focus. He has my attention. A lot of times they will say, you know, but that's Jesus. That's easy for him because he's Jesus. That's why they call him Jesus. What about me? Well, first of all, the scripture tells us that what Jesus did, he did as a man. Remember when he was tempted in the wilderness and, and Satan came to him and he says, if you're the son of God, tell these, bread, these stones to be turned to bread. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't act as God. He acted as a man while he was on the earth. He was our example. And there's some beautiful scriptures that give insight into him in Isaiah chapter 50. They're called the, 
the servant songs, Isaiah, the 50, the chapters 50 and on, because they're speaking of the Messiah. They're speaking of Jesus. And first, you know, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 53, one that is probably more well-known. Chapter 53, verse 2, he says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. A, a familiar passage speaking of the Messiah. And in, in chapter 50, we have a couple of more passages. Chapter 50, just turn left and, and look at verse 6. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Once again, a powerful passage that speaks of Jesus and his sacrificing himself for us. But go up to verse 4. Just previous to this declaration of who he was in chapter 50, verse 4, it says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He, makes, he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. And we have this picture of Jesus. When the morning comes and he wakes up, he listens. And it's like I am going to school every morning. I am being instructed by God. I am following God. He speaks to me. I listen. And I am being led by him. Now, the idea of having a relationship like this with God is a little bit uncomfortable for us. It, it's not tangible like we want. We, we want those basic principles. We want that religious regiment that we can follow, that we can know. But instead, he says, you have to listen. You have to hear my voice. In fact, Jesus talked about that in John chapter 10. I know I got you guys jumping all over the place today. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because 
they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. He's using a figure of street speech to explain that his followers hear his voice. Just like Isaiah talked about in the morning, he's instructed by the Lord. His tongue is hearing what God would speak to him, and he's responding to the voice of the Lord. He's going to school every day, understanding, well, his sheep hear his voice. He speaks, and they go, oh, that's what you want me to do. They listen. They understand because he speaks and they know who he is. They have entered into a relationship with the living God where they are able to discern what he says in their lives. Now, does that make you feel uneasy? Does that trouble you a little because now you are responsible to hear? Well, can't I just, I'll just read the Bible. Isn't this how God speaks to us? Well, definitely. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for the man of God, for instruction, for exhortation, for reproving us, correcting us. But you see, God gave us his Holy Spirit so that we could be led by him. It's interesting that the most profound work that has ever taken place in church history took place when they did not have the New Testament. What did they have? They had a dependency on the Holy Spirit. The New Testament was required later because of false teaching to give us guidelines, but there was a dependency on God to hear his voice. You see, because I can search the scriptures and it will not tell me I should marry Corrine. It will not tell me that you should take that job in Anaheim. I've searched. It doesn't say Anaheim anywhere here or Napa or St. Helena or any place like that. It just doesn't say those things. But God does speak to us if we will listen. But how do we listen? We have to surrender ourselves. We have to yield ourselves. We have to tune our ears. We have to listen. We have to focus on him above everything else because there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of noise that are going to hinder us from hearing what God has to say to us. In fact, he goes on in that passage and he says that we would not be conformed to this world, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And he tells us that we might be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How can we prove what God's will? How can we know God's will? We have to offer ourselves sacrificially to him. In John 15, Jesus said, you need to remain in me and I in you. Just as a, a vine and has its branches and the branches can produce no fruit unless they remain in the vine. Neither can you produce anything unless you remain in me. In fact, without me, he says, you can do nothing. You might think, well, that's kind of harsh. I can do nothing. But don't you remember what Jesus just said? I can do nothing of my own. I only do what the Father tells me. I can't do, that's Jesus saying, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what the Father tells me. And Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But with me, remaining in me, your life can produce something. And so what's required is my life given fully as a sacrifice to him.
And then not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. The renewing of our minds. Changing the way we think. Being mindful of the things of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15... 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What is the world that we're not to conform to? It is not the culture. It is not the styles or the music of the day. I've heard so many studies that talk about, you know, don't be conformed to the world. You shouldn't listen to that music. He's not talking about the music. You shouldn't dress like the world. Well, then where would we be? Stuck in the 80s, mullets? I mean, where, where would we be? <laughs> he's not talking about the cultural things. When he's talking about the world, it's what First John talks about, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the things that are temporary, the things that are material, the things that are about me, that are self-focused, that are self-preservation. You see, there is a world that is eternal, and it is not this physical, tangible one. And we need to be more concerned with that world than with this world. Jesus says, don't store treasures here on earth where thieves can break in and steal, where moths can get and tear it up, where rust can get to it. Store for yourselves treasure in heaven where those things won't take place. Jesus also said that you cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being money or material. If your focus is the material, if it's all about satisfying the natural, you will be blind to the things of the spirit. And so don't be conformed to the life that tries to make you all about the physical all about the status, all about the temporary, all about the material things on this earth. Don't be squeezed into that mold, J.B. Phillips' translation says. Instead, be transformed, be metamorphosed, be made someone different by recognizing that God is speaking and we can hear and we can follow if we want to. But it's not going to be a matter of, well, I said a prayer, so I did my duty. It's about offering my life as a sacrifice. Completely. Acceptable before God. How can I do that? Jesus took care of that. That's what he talked about in chapters 1 through 11. Christ has taken care of our debt by faith. We are acceptable if we are in him. So we can present ourselves living sacrifices. We can be aware that God is a reality and he is speaking and he is asking us to follow him. And so when I get up in the morning, my ears should be tuned and say, God, 
what do you have for me today? When someone comes into our life and they start talking to us and you feel impressed, you need to talk further with this person or you need to share your faith with this person. Well, how did you know that? Because the Spirit moved you, because God says, speak now, say this. And you think, well, that, that's unrealistic. You can't do that. You, that's, that's Jesus, but that's not me. Really, it seems to be that if we have the desire, that that should be us. That if we have the commitment, that can be us. And I think many of us have experienced that from time to time, where God has ministered to you, you've stepped out in faith, and God and showed up, and you're like, whoa, that was cool. God showed up. He did something. He, he, he actually used me. I actually heard him. And the thought of hearing from the living God is overwhelming that he would speak to me and use me in someone else's life, and it's tremendous. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. And he says, that's what I want all the time. But man, that's going to take effort. That's going to take a living sacrifice. And you see, the first step to living this life is yielding ourselves completely to it. Is recognizing the life that is there. And understanding what God desires of us. He doesn't desire our principles to be in line with him. He doesn't desire just a certain amount of time. What he wants is all of us. In fact, the thing that Jesus hates, that he despises, is someone who is lukewarm. Revelation, he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Someone who is half-hearted following God, he says, no. I can't stand that. And the reason he can't is because there is not the recognition of who he really is and who we really are. And that's why he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, do you realize how much he has done to have a relationship with us? It cost him his son. And you're going to take this relationship lightly? I don't think so. I gave my son so that you and I could have an intimate relationship. And if you're not interested in that, then you're not interested in what I have at all. Many people wouldn't follow. When Jesus started sharing these kinds of things, they're like, yeah, well... You know, I'm going to go back to the fishing boats. In fact, chapter 6, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And some people said, I can't take this anymore. And they left. And then he talked to his disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave as well? And Peter responded, where can we go? You see, they had been with him long enough to know that what you have alone is eternal life. Anything else is death. You alone have the words 
of eternal life. And until we come to that recognition of what God is, we will not lay our lives down as living sacrifices. We will not renew our minds, be transformed, be mindful of the things of God, because that's the only way we can know the will of God, is to give ourselves completely to him, to be aware of his presence, not interested in just the material. Then he will speak to our lives, and he will tell us what the will of God is. It's all about the relationship. It's all about the relationship. If you don't have that, you have nothing. You have a religion. And that's not what God has intended for us. Let's pray. Lord, these are powerful words, and they're a bit frightening. We're frightened because I think we wonder if we can trust you. But Lord, you have already displayed your love for us, and it is in view of your mercy that you ask us these things. You have gone farther for us than anyone would ever go. You have given reason to follow you. And so now the the ball is in our court. It is our responsibility now to live this life, to follow after you, to lay ourselves, to yield ourselves as living sacrifices, to wake up and hear your voice and follow after you, to change the way we think and not be focused on the temporary things, but to put our focus on the eternal things. God, what would you do if we did that? How could you speak to our lives? How could you direct us? Where would you direct us to? What would you have us do? How would we impact those around us? God, you changed the world with a handful of men who followed you. What could you do with us if we would follow you, Lord? If we would humble ourselves, recognize that giving our lives fully to you is our spiritual worship. It is our reasonable service. It is the least we can do in light of all that you've done for us. I pray you would prompt our hearts to to do these things, Lord, to be mindful of you, to be attentive to you, to yield ourselves to you, not out of obligation, but out of desire, to pick up the scriptures and read because we're hungry and we want to know your guidelines. We want to know what pleases you, what doesn't please, so that when you speak to us, we can know, oh, yes, that's reminiscent of your voice. I know that that we would give ourselves to you in prayer and communicate with you. Lord, Paul said we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to be in constant communication with you throughout the day, talking to you, crying out to you, listening for you. Lord, transform us this morning that we would take these steps, that we begin to live this life,
that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name.